0: Exodus chapter 21. This refers to a segment of Scripture that Moses gave to the children of Israel. When I say children, I mean grown-ups, but they were children of God. That's what I'm talking about. So what God told Moses to, to say in, with respect to bond servants, ones who couldn't pay their debts, and you know God required them to work it off. only t- way they could get out of it is if something happened one the high priest died or if it was the year of jubilee after every 50 years every debt was canceled and you start all over again you can go back to your land and own it and till it and work it just like you did before if you're a bond servant working for somebody working your debt off and they mess with you and they and they abuse you god said that's a an uh-uh and that's the context all right, and he says this if men strive and hurt a woman or with a child so that her fruit depart from her, she has a miscarriage, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according to the woman's husband. Lay, let's say, according uh, to the, the woman's husband, will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Verse 23 And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite, I mean that, that man who has those servants working for him, the work off, pay off the debt. If a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And verse 27. And if he smite out his man servant's tooth or his maid servant's tooth, he shall let him go free for the tooth's sake. The lesson is this Thou shalt know the truth, the tooth, and the tooth shall set you free. That's the Sunday school lesson. God bless you, kids. You're dismissed. Youth, you can go to your class. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know the truth? The truth. By the way, that's a misquote in many ways. I shall know the truth and it shall make you free. Many people say it's set, but this one is really set free. Hallelujah. be set free. You're abused. God said, "Uh uh-uh. I'm not going to let that happen. You're free. Amen. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Where'd Brother Kevin go? We want to congratulate him on being a grandparent. As a grandchild, we rejoice with him. And do keep Brother uh, uh, Clarence Jackson in your prayers. Uh, I talked to him this morning, prayed with him just before church. He was on his way to the emergency room. was having a, a swelling in his abdomen and his face and his hands from congestive heart failure. Brother Brian back and his wife were there preaching this morning. Uh, so pray with them and for them. Uh, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is Valentine's Day weekend. And and it would be wrong of me not to try to address the subject of love. The world does. You see it everywhere. And, uh, you know, God is not just the author of it. He is love. He just doesn't have love. He is love. It's one of his attributes. You cannot separate from his nature. The Bible speaks more of his holiness than anything else. Yes, he's holy. He's righteous. He's omniscient, knows everything. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's present at every place, but he also is love. Love. He is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I'm going to address love from that God love perspective from Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Be ye therefore. Now, mind you, he's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians, people who call on Jesus and call him Lord. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to people who have not repented of their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. He's talking to Christians who are followers, indeed, of Christ. So he says, be ye therefore followers of, well, let me go back to verse 32 just to prove my point. Sorry, Sister Ruth. You know, you know me, I like context. It's a teacher in me, I can't get out of it, I just can't get rid of it, I'm sorry. And he says in verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. He's talking to forgiven people. He's talking to beloved people. He's talking to the church, the apple of his eye. And if you're in the church born again of the water of spirit, you're in his body. You're his church. And he's writing to you. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Be ye therefore, you see, that's why the therefore is there. It's in follow up of verse 32. Because as Christ loved you and forgave you, be tender hearted to each other. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And I'm going to follow up with that in verse 25 as Paul addresses husbands. And, you know... I understand why, but it's still kind of hard to understand why God never commanded a woman to love her husband. Never find that in Scripture. It's that one place in the book of Titus where he says, you know, the older women should teach the younger ones to love their husbands. That's the only time you'll find anything in the Bible Old and New Testament about God saying even a woman to love their husband. And there's a reason for that. I think you know that. And that's because if the husband loves the woman right, it's an automatic reciprocation on the woman's part. That's the general rule of thumb. There are exceptions to the rule. It says it is the spiritual. So in verse 25, husbands, love your wives even, nice, Christian husbands. I say that because we kind of forget that. He's writing to Christians. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives. That's the second time he says it in this chapter. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. And this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. With all those many words of love in this chapter, I'm not going to repeat every one of them because there's a lot A time that it talks about husbands, Christian husbands, loving their wives as Christ loved the church. So, well, I'm not married. Well, you ain't dead yet. You may be, you will be. Maybe you'll have the privilege to. Maybe you'll marry again. Maybe you lost a spouse. Maybe you had things in your past that, that resulted in a divorce. I don't know. And then you're, you, you may get married again. You just don't know. But I want to talk to you about the subject of true love. True love. True love. We heard a greater love. Amazing love. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's pray one more time, shall we? I need help. I need help to preach this message. I'm a Christian husband, and I'm going to be preaching to myself a lot this morning, okay? So this weight is going to be right on me, and one finger goes out, and nine go right back to me. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your love. God, thank you for paying our debt that we could not pay, loving us to the death, Lord, shedding your own blood redeeming us, O God, with your life's blood, loving us to the end. Lord, we love you in return. We reciprocate that love. We pray now that you'd have your way and your will performed in our midst. Let your name be glorified. Help us to gain strength thereby and help us to be like you, followers of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for your patience and standing so long. Hallelujah. When you look at this chapter, at every time you heard the word love, which is really unique and interesting, but every time the word love is mentioned, it uses the Greek form agape. And I'm sure many of you have heard, or most of you have heard agape. And in Greek, there's four different kinds of words for the love that English we translate as love. And I'll go into that in a little bit later, but but it is agape, it is traditionally ascribed to the kind of love that God has for us, which is true. But it's noteworthy for us to, to see that uh, that there is a reason why that word is used in this chapter and not other another. Uh, a definition or another Greek word that also is translated as love. But notice it says in chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye, therefore, followers of God as dear children. And this word followers literally means imitators. It says, Be ye, therefore, imitators of God. Imitate God as children of God. We are to be imitators of God, and we are to make God our example. As modeled in Jesus Christ. Be ye therefore followers of God His dear children. We ought to follow him in everything. In his attitudes. In his humility. In his holiness. First Peter 1.15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written. Be ye holy for I am holy. God said. Living a separated, meaning a pure lifestyle, is godliness. It is godlike. It's imitating God when we do that. In fact, that is why in chapter uh, 5 here, verse 3 on, after he asks us to walk in love and following God uh, as little children, he talks about fornication and and avoiding all that. Avoid fornication, covetousness, um, as becometh saints. He says, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Give thanks instead of doing all that. Hallelujah. Think about it. He said, be imitators with God. It's not just admiring God. It's not just thinking about God. It's not just adoring God. And all that is good. We should do that. We should love God and focus on him, adore him. We should think about him. But you see, the Bible here is calling us to action. It's calling us to come out of our inner life. Come out of the state of love that's inside of us uh, for God and let it come out. Because he says, let us be walking in love. Walk in love following God. And walking is action. Hallelujah. He says, let that love that's on the inside of you for God be manifest in all that you do. All the people you encounter. All the things that you come across. Let that inward life with God of you uh, come out uh, and let it be manifest to everybody around you. Be imitators of God. Go beyond your inner life as dear children. You know, children are great imitators. If uh, if you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. They exactly do everything that their parents do. And we act according to our inward Godliness. And when we do that as followers of Christ, We are like Him. Hallelujah. And as we imitate God, we really become representatives of God. And isn't really that what God called us to be and to do in this world? He sent us out to be just that. And to those people who shut God out of their lives, this is the only way that some people will be encountering the love of God is simply by encountering us and God in us. Praise God. Hallelujah. And walk in love as Christ hath also loved us and hath given us, given himself for us. Amen. He gave himself for us. Hallelujah. And see, God's behavior to us becomes our measure for our behavior towards other people. God's measure of love, God's behavior towards us becomes the real measuring stick. Do we measure up to that kind of behavior? Do we love our fellow man? Do we love our family members? Do we love our husbands and wives? Do we love those around us the way that he did by giving of ourselves? Because this is the basis, believe it or not, of Paul dealing with some very, very important and very weighty matters in this entire chapter. And I skipped over some of it, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it lightly. And I mentioned already because you love God so much, and, and you are His and your saints, but fornication and things, always avoid this. He says, says we ought to conduct ourselves in a way that is becometh saints, fitting for saints, fitting. Avoiding fornication—that's all sexual sins. Uncleanness—that's just a broad term for dirty behavior, dirty moral behavior—and uncleanness is much the same. Filthiness. Amen. And then it says coarse jesting. Don't do it. Avoid coarse jesting. That's an appropriate, improper sexual uh, uh, humor. And right after that, it says avoid foolish talking. Coarse jesting, foolish talking. And literally that foolish talking in Greek refers to saying a, a turn of words. It is an easy turn of words. In other words, it's the idea that every conversation somebody you're having with, uh, and then that person is joking and commenting on sexual matter. It just turns on somehow sex. You know what I'm talking about. That's the way the world is. And so I don't play around with the world. I don't joke around with the world. Amen. If I joke with the world, I'm going to tell them a biblical joke. That's hard to come around and turn it into something else. Because the world likes to laugh about other things. And I don't laugh at it. And you shouldn't either. That's why the Bible says, as a saint, don't do that. Fornication, uncleanness, filthiness, coarse jesting, inappropriate, impure sexual humor, foolish stalking. Don't let your conversation be turned and don't go along with that sexual humor. Now see. Paul's not telling us that to avoid all these things so we can become saints. No, he's saying don't do it because you are saints. So live up to it. You are saints. You've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. God's Spirit sanctified you and made you holy. His holy presence is in you. So live up to it. Act like it. Walk in love. Walk in holiness. Walk as a child of God. Imitate Him because God wouldn't do that. And that's what. What Paul is, is, is really appealing to us about. But notice the whole foundation for all this is God's love. It's love. Love is the motivating factor for a great many things in the Bible. The spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Amen. Two chapters on either side of spiritual gifts and right in the middle is love. Why Love's got to be the motivating factor for everything that we do for Jesus Christ. Amen. And being, you know, in church, you've got to have love. Amen. You've got to do everything with love. Having a Christian husband, having a Christian wife, you've got to be motivated by love to treat them the right way like God would and the way God does. Hallelujah. So instead, he says, you're a saint, live up to it. And that's the constant appeal of the whole New Testament, if you think about it. It's be who you are in Christ Jesus. This is why it's so important to know who you are. You have to know your identity. You have to understand what happened to you when you were born again. You, un- you have to understand you're the apple of his eye. You're special. You're betrothed. You are part of the bride of Christ. You belong to a holy God, not to yourself. Amen. When you're married to somebody, you don't belong to every other woman and every other man. You are separated and consecrated and dedicated to that one person. And when we come to God in a spiritual sense, we're consecrated, dedicated only to him. Love demands it. And so that's the appeal of the whole New Testament, Paul, right here. Makes it more evident than ever before in Ephesians chapter 5. Love's got to be the foundation for everything that we do. Holiness, certainly that. And then when he gets to the subject of submission, he, yeah, I know, he, he, again, we, he's talking to Christian wives now. He's not talking to anybody, you know, who, uh, who is uh, a feminist in a sense that, uh, now look, we're all for equal rights. God is an equal opportunity savior. Whomsoever will, let him come. And that is a generic term for everybody. You know that. But God is speaking to Christian women. And he says this. Before he ever gets to this subject, he talks about love for all children. Love God. Love God. And if you love God, are you going to follow him? Are you going to imitate us of him? Now, this is what I want you to do, women, out of love. He says, wives. And not just all women. Now, this is the Wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Not to every man. Unto your own husbands. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Oh, I don't like that. Now, a lot of wives don't. And a lot of times... Also, the husbands don't make it any easier either. And that's a problem. And this is why I'm addressing it because husbands have to know this other side. You've, you've got to know as a Christian husband how to love your wife and how to deal with this issue, even as Paul is dealing with here. Submitting yourselves to one another. See, again, th- th- this doesn't mean every woman to submit to every man. This is about a marital relationship. It's between a husband and a wife. And the word submission here is, again, I, I've touched on it before, but if you weren't here in one of the Bible studies I mentioned again, it literally means to be under rank, rank. You've heard of rank in the military. If you serve in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But you could be a general way at the top, and you could be a buck private way at the bottom. But just because that, that man has four stars and got all authority over you does not mean that he's better than you. And he cannot give you some orders that is illegal and against the rules. Hallelujah. There's some things that all his authority cannot do. But the point being is that that general, he may be smarter than that private. More than likely he is. I'm not saying that about husbands. I'm just saying in a contrast here that, that that private could have a doctorate degree. If he did, he'd usually be an officer. And some of them reject it, believe it or not. They refuse an officer's rank. And they will stay in the lower ranks to work their way up rather than just going right to officer candidate school. But the point is the general is simply having more rank. It does not mean that he's better than that private. It's just authority where the authority flows from the president all the way down to the generals and down to every rank all the way to the bottom. That's the same thing in the family. God has his order. God had his flow of authority coming from him through Christ, the man, the woman, the children, the family, all the rest of it. Now that's Christian's home. That's a Christian home. It may not be your home. I'm not dictating. God doesn't dictate. You do what you want. You will anyway. This is for whomsoever will. This is, and it's not God arbitrarily setting rules uh, just to say, because I said so. No, there's a method to this. There is a reason for this. He is the one who created marriage. It was not government. Marriage precedes government before any nation or any government, whatever it was ever established God ordained established marriage, and he set the rules and the boundaries, and he created man and woman. He knows what the needs of each are. He knows what our weaknesses are on each side, and he knows which direction he wanted to send his authority. Before Eve ever came out of the side of Adam, God already created him, hallelujah, and he spoke with him, and he gave him a job to do, and and he gave him a, a, a... the responsibility to guard uh, the Garden of Eden, to be a guardian and to be a cultivator, a farmer, a keeper and dresser of that nice garden. And they gave him a command, don't eat of that tree. You can have everything except that one. Uh, Hallelujah. And then he called all this creation animals to march right along in front of him. Now, Adam, I want you to name whatever this thing is. You're going to give it this name. And Eve was nowhere around. Wasn't until after all this. That God created Eve out of his rib. The first woman came out of a man, out of his body. That's the Bible. Listen, if we believe that God created man, why would we have a hard time believing that God took a rib or a cell whatever and cloned a man or created a woman? We believe a scientist can do it. Oh, but no, no, God can't do it. Before she ever came on the scene. This is, you see why certain subjects in the Bible have to be understood in this light, in this order of creation. Right. Whether submission or even hair or a lot of other things, roles that God has established. And it doesn't make you better in one role or the other. It simply means that you have a role to fulfill and you're going to be judged upon how best you fulfill the role that God gave you. Right. But the devil's trying to confuse that role. A lot of minds, well, I don't have to do that. No, you don't have to do anything. But if you're going to be a Christian and followers and imitators of God, you're going to be a child of God, you're going to be in the church, his church, amen. Yeah, you're going to follow his book. Simple. Hallelujah. Amen. And I, I'm not going to enforce this, God will. I'm just preaching his word. I'm the mailman. I'm the messenger. I'm passing it on because my job is to feed the flock with knowledge and understanding. The rest is up to you and God, what you do with it. You take this truth and apply it yourself. And if it fits, amen, wear it. If you don't like it, reject it. That's your privilege. But you do it to your own harm. And you won't be able to blame anybody else especially when you stand before God, because we will all stand before him, including me. And so I'm speaking of true love. God has tough love. Oh, he's got tough love, but he's got the greatest love. So again, I'm just just coming back to this thing about Wise and submission—it's just do me under rank. It's it's the flow of authority. It's not about who's better. It's not about who's in control. Who's in Although in a lot of marriages, it usually end up coming down to that argument. I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. I'm, uh, there's this tussle. There's this rivalry of who does what. And instead of being partners pulling the wagon in the same direction, they pull in opposite directions. And it, it, it's not Christ-like. We we have to learn. We have to learn negotiation. We have to learn yieldedness, submission. Somebody's got to take the lead in some things. And unfortunately, I know many husbands have taken this Scripture out of context. and have used it to hurt their marriage and lust themselves. Or they think that they have a right to exercise unbridled power and authority over the wife, but that is not the intent of the Scripture at all. Just remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. A lot of husbands stop on the first word power. Oh, I got the power and authority. Yeah, but he also gave you love. You got to exercise. Whatever power God gives you and, a, and a, the teaching on the spiritual gifts proves it. And every other teaching in New Testament, love has got to be your motivating factor. It's got to be the, the mitigating, influencing thing. That has you do everything you do for God. Love. So we got to understand that if a wife does not submit to the word, to this word, then he's, you know, it's to submit to your own husband, a Christian husband, hallelujah, husband. Then he's not, she's not only falling short as a wife, she's falling short as a saint. And same thing for a man who's not submitting to his authority over him. Word. A lot of times, husbands who demand a lot of obedience for wives have a hard time obeying it themselves with authority figures over them. I've seen it time and again. Now, there are exceptions for a woman, not no, what a woman, but a wife, not to submit. And that's exactly right. If a husband asks or expects the wife to sin, you don't obey. You do not submit. When a husband gets physically abusive and endangers the safety of the wife and children, it's when he's acting like a heathen, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1, 1.9, the law is for the lawless. a husband who's a Christian is supposed to be a Christian. He's born again. He's supposed to be led by the Spirit. But he acts like a devil and he doesn't follow the law of Christ. The law of love and yieldingness and sacrifice and sacrificial love in a family. If he doesn't take care of his family, he doesn't love and cherish and honor. Listen, you're out of step with being an imitator of God. And if you become abusive, you become hurtful to your wife or your children. And they come to me and complain, I'm going to call the police on you. Right. And wife, you should have been the first one to call them. And get an order of protection on them and... Get him out of the house. Right. Not you. Don't leave. You stay with the children if you got children. But there's no place for abusive husbands in the church of the living God. Right. Hallelujah. Oh. oh, Let's clap our hand of the Lord. Let's give it unto him, shall we? <laughs> Praise God. The law is for the lawless. That's what Paul said to Timothy. If somebody doesn't follow the law of Christ in here dictated by love, if you're going to act like a heathen, we're going to treat you like a heathen. In other words, turn you over to the law and let the law take care of you. Certain civil codes we can't enforce. We're not here to enforce. We're here to exhort, to reprove, to rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. I'm going to show you why you're doing wrong. You've got to change your life. You've got to change your attitude. You've got to change your behavior. And You don't. and You keep on causing problems and hurting people, especially your own family you should be loving. I'm going to let the law take care of you and do what I can't do. Paul said, the law is for the lawless, and he mentions the lawlessness, the man-stealers, the kidnappers, the murderers, the abusers, the killers, all of them. It's listed all. In that. If you're going to do that, the law is going to take care of you, and then you're going to face God at the end. Oh, hallelujah. God have mercy. And that's why even Peter, in his epistles, says, let it not once be mentioned among you. Don't, don't, don't ever be in it. If you suffer as an evildoer, well, you know, you, 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 you get what you, you know, what's coming to you. But if you suffer as a Christian, well, then you know, bear it, endure it, and do for Christ's sake because he did it for us. And he gave us an example of how to endure that. And there's a place for that. But if you're doing something wrong outside of the law, you're violating the law, just expect the mighty hand of the law to come down on you. Amen. So if a husband is physically abusive and endangers the safety of the wife or the children, she don't have to obey. When And when the husband breaks the marriage bond by adultery, she can biblically divorce him, but I should also quickly say Scripture doesn't demand it, but she can. And finally, if the husband is medically incapacitated or he's insane, insane by drug abuse, Alcoholic, I'm, you know, I'm one That's just, It comes right down to, to, to the mixture between uh, abuse and, uh, and a medical condition. But the point is that, you know, author, a man's authority is not all encompassed, not all powerful. It's got to be motivated and mitigated by love. Right. And if it's not, then the woman is spared. And I have just given you four examples where, where a wife does not have to put up with that. And again, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, Jesus' attitudes toward the church should be our pattern for loving each other. I think it shows us from this, really, that a loveless marriage is not the plan of God. A loveless marriage, is not, it doesn't please God. That's not His purpose. Remember the love of Christ? This love is given to the undeserving. The love of God is given to the church first. It's given to us first, Right? 1 John 4, 19, for we love him because he first loved us. As you know, Jesus in the Bible is always portrayed as the bridegroom, the male. The church is always the female, male, female, and that's why he created marriage. It was a type and shadow, foreshadowing of the coming eternal relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And even as Adam uh, had his rib from his side, a woman taken out, same thing with Jesus when he died on Calvary. The Bible said he purchased the church with his own blood. It's from his side that came water and blood. It's through that water and blood that we're baptized, our sins are remitted, and because of that payment of our moral debt taken we can be filled by his spirit. And Christ built, created a church that you and I are in. Hallelujah. He first loved us. Before you ever came to God, he first loved you. And he's telling the husbands, be like Christ. You love your wife first. You show her love. You show her affection. You be kind. You show her honor. You lift her up. You do good and kind things for her. Do you know what God does for us? Bible says the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. It's when we're doing good and kind things out of our heart, amen, that the heart is touched as ours was and we respond in kind and we come to the Lord and follow him broken and yielded. You know, when you have a loving husband, you have a loving God, you have no no problem yielding and surrendering yourself to them because you know that they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to take advantage of your weakness. Your humanity. God didn't. But he loved us first. And this is the kind of love that can be rejected, and yet he still loves. How many times have you spurned his love and he still loves you? How many times have you walked away from him, turned your back from him when you shouldn't have, and he called for you and you didn't answer, but he kept coming after you? I'm so glad he did for me. I did. I was there, I was there. But I'm so glad he didn't stop loving me. I'm so glad he didn't stop calling after me. Like he did to Adam. Adam, where art thou? Where art thou? Not that he didn't know. He said, "Where are you now?" She did what she did in comparison to what you thought you're going to get by sinning and violating my rule. See, we have to understand that Christ didn't die for the church because it was lovely. He died to make us lovely. He didn't die because because she was holy. We weren't. He died to make us holy. He didn't die because she was so good. He died to make us good. He didn't die because we were so pure. He died to make us pure. He didn't die because we were without spot and without blemish and without any wrinkle. He died to make us so we be without a spot or blemish or wrinkle. His love demonstrates the church. It's a special love. It's a true love that, that many times really is missing in between a husband and a wife. God help us. And it's true that Jesus loves the, the, the world. He does. He loves the world. That's a general kind of love. But he's got a special love for the church. And that's the same way that God wants the husband to imitate God. You can have a general love for people and everybody else. But you've got to have a special love for that special woman, your bride. Because God has it. Let's know something. We, we would always find this. Between the a, a, a husband and wife. That there's this, this special kind of love. is a kind of love that loves unselfishly. Many times when we love, we, we, we love because we want something. In that relationship, we want. We, we're, we're, we're grasping for things. But Jesus never loved the church for what she has. But loves her for what she is. What did you have to offer Jesus when you came? What is it that he wanted from you that you had? Your heart. It's unselfish. And yet he gave himself for us. He makes her the object of his love and affection. And he loves the church not for what he can get from her, but he loves her for what he can give to her. He didn't love us because of what he can get from us, but what he can give to us. Love, true love, peace of mind, righteousness, eternal life. Hallelujah. He didn't have to. He didn't have to love, but he does. I want us to understand how special love this is, how, how much of a true love this is. See, this is the kind of love that's a constant love. That's the way husbands are called upon to be. Have a constant love, an enduring love, a giving love, a sacrificial love. It's it's a heart full of love for people. I'm talking about the church now. Loving people. That's what it says in verse 25. Why did Jesus do this? He loved her and he gave himself. For it. He sacrificed himself for it. This kind of love is is self-sacrificing. This is that agape love. How should a Christian husband love his wife? Agape, self-sacrificing, godly kind of a love. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, he died for it. it. Shows us that the focus of Jesus is on the church. Not on anyone or anything else. And it was for the church that he did what he did. For that church he did what he did. Not for himself. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to come in flesh. He didn't have to give us this book. But he did. Because he wants us to have the best life that anyone can have. And the only way you and I can have it is by following him. As imitators of God, as little children. That means swallowing a pride and yieldedly coming after the Lord and obeying Him like we did with children when children, we were following our mother's and father's directions. Don't do that. Well, there's times we didn't. <laughs> Praise God. And in our Christian walk, at times we didn't. Can I hear an amen? And yet he kept loving us and he kept calling us back and we fell on our face and we messed up. He he dried our tears and he he embraced us and he dusted us off and he cleansed us and washed us and, and he kissed us where it hurt. And he poured oil into the wound instead of salt and he made us who we are yet today, still on the straight and narrow. Aren't you glad for a love like that? Aren't you glad for true love? Praise God. So husbands, love your wives, agape. Now, you know, the ancient word Greeks, these four different kind of words, we always hear three, but there's four, and I'm going to cover it a little bit this morning for a purpose so that we can better understand what this true love is and what agape love is and compared to these other words in Greek that are strange. And it's, we say Greek because, as you know, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. It said, Somebody said that it was written in Hebrew, and then it translated to Greek. I don't know. But there's more Greek manuscripts about the New Testament than anything else. There's more manuscripts of the Bible than any other book in the entire universe. Did you know that? It's a valid book. Husbands, love your wives. I know the Greek, one of the words is eros, as you know that. It's love. It's translated as love but it describes erotic love. It's sexual love. There has to be sex in marriage. And, but this kind of, of love is, is, is driven by desire. That's what eros represents. It's eros, it's love that's driven by desire. Then the second word for love, that from Greek, is storge. It is love also, but it's love that refers to family members. It's the kind of love that there is between a parent and a child or between other family members among each other. It's love driven by blood, family bloodline. And then the third word or love is philia, and it speaks of brotherly relationship and affection. It's the, it's, it's the love of deep friendship and partnership. That's why Philadelphia is spelled you know, Philadelphia, and it, it, it means the city of brotherly love. City of brotherly love. It's where you it kindly affect each other, but I wouldn't go downtown right now to experience it. It's the highest level of love that you could achieve without God having anything to do with it on the inside of you. That's, that's, all, that's, that's the most that we can, we can just only do filial love without God's spirit and his presence inside of us with respect to another person. But... It's fondness, and it's driven by common interests and by affection. Filial love, common interests, and affection. That's the driving factor. But when you come to agape, agape is also translated love, but has a lot to do with the mind as it does the heart. The mind. So eros and storge and philia, they each speak about love that is felt. But agape is none of those things. These three, eros, story, philia, there is a feeling, but but they describe this instinctive love that comes from the heart instinctively and spontaneously. Paul assumes that these kinds of of love are already present in a marriage. It should be. The arrows, that, the sexual desire, it should be there. Amen. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's part of, of the marriage covenant and the marriage relationship. And the, the family, you know, loving for, for, for the children and, and all your, your other members now that you have expanded your family with that the family kind of love. The story love has expanded. And there's the filial love. It's that friendly relationship, this fondness. It's what Peter, as a husband, writes about in first Peter 3 Talking to husbands, being ex- expressing brotherly love towards one another, It's having fr- uh, friendship, and it's, it, it's it's enjoying each other's company, for for more than just intimacy, but just having fun together. I think too many in too many relationships, husbands and wives don't do that enough. It need to, it needs to be done. So Paul assumed that those three. Aspects of love are already present. And so he, in, in, in this chapter, he addresses that one, agape. And it's important to have those other things. That, but his real point is to address this higher form of love that affects our decision and our will. It's more than that of a spontaneity coming from the heart. It's, it's, something about, it's a decision that you make. It's an act of your will. It's much, again, as a matter of the mind as it is the heart because it chooses, it can't choose to love the undeserving because that's really what God did for us. We do not deserve his love. We did not deserve it, did we? And yet he chose to love us. And we see that in plain words. In fact, in the Old Testament, when, when, uh, when, when Moses is giving his, his, the law the second time in Deuteronomy, and he's telling them, God did not choose you because you were the greatest number of people who were, or because you were the smartest and the, and the mightiest, and, and you had all these. No, no, no. He set his love upon you because he wanted to. He said it. He chose to. It's not like, God, here, choose me. Choose me. Love me. Uh-uh. You didn't want to have anything to do with him. You didn't even know who he was. Until a preacher came along and preached the gospel of good news and glad tidings to you. And something happened in your heart. That God begin to work and manipulate it and, and touch you and, and help you. And, and when life happens because it's so, such a struggle, life is not easy at all. And you can't do it by yourself. And kids, when they grow up in, and get, you know, get, get old enough to do something on their own, they don't want to get out and they don't know how good to have it while they're living at home. Amen. Living under the roof of a loving mother and father to take care of them. And they go out there and life happens and it is tough. And we need God's help, every one of us. We need God's help to have that good life and a good relationship that God wants us to have. But it's agape love, not about feeling. It's about decisions. And to be honest with you, agape can't be simply and strictly defined as only a God kind of love. Because the Bible uses this word in two other places at least That I'm going to bring to your attention right now is John 3.19. And this is the condemnation that light come into the world. And men loved agape, darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. People can agape love the world. 1 John 2:15 Love agape not the world neither the things that are in the world and if any man love agape the world the love agape of the father is not in him And the world as we love the world we can we may not have an affection for it but you know what we sacrifice our lives to it we sacrifice hundreds of dollars for their kinds of entertainment. We throw ourselves lock, stock, and barrel and everything has got to offer. We buy their drugs and their liquor and, and we sell our bodies and, and we do all kinds of immoral things without even thinking about We yield and surrender our will in abandonment. No affection. We just do it automatically. That's agape, And it's yet this benevolent, giving, absorbing love. Because the word has little to do with feeling or emotion. It's self-denial for the sake of another. And we're seated in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but thine be done. We're seated at the cross of Calvary. It's where he chose to die for you and me. Stand with me, if you will. And the praise team can come. He didn't have to die. But he did it for us. The undeserving. He died for those Roman soldiers that were putting the nails in his hands and his feet. He died for those ecclesiastical Jewish leaders who lied on him and slandered him. He died for those Roman soldiers who who spit in his face and took a reed and they hit him over the head. And put a, a crown of thorns on his head. As blood was coming down his face. He died for them. Not because he de- they deserved it. But because he agape loved them. He chose to die for them. He chose to die for you and I. Not because we deserve it. What did you ever do for God that you think. You would deserve this eternal life. Why should he give you and I eternal life? What you got to offer to God? What can you sell to him in in exchange, you know, for your salvation? Nothing. Nothing. But he gave his everything so you can be his. So you can be betrothed to him. So you can choose. To be in his bride because he does love you and his agape self-sacrificing laying down his life for another is evident on Calvary that's why Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, greater love agape hath no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends and my friend that's exactly what he did for you and me. He laid down his life for you and me. That's true love. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope this message has touched your heart. I pray that as you go forth from this place and even tomorrow is Valentine's Day that you think about this, but even now, Would you allow the Spirit to just saturate you and allow Him to help you to inspect yourself? It's do some house inspection, introspection. And see where you're falling short if you're trying to be a Christian. And you know what? I promise you, when you begin to follow after God, i would be an imitator of him. Husbands, act like God, the way he acts towards you and I. When we mess up, or if you act like that towards your wife, when she's not meeting up to your expectations, just remind yourself of how many times you didn't meet up to his expectations. And look at how he has loved you. Didn't turn you out and turn you away. He worked with you. He still works with you. And same thing, you know, marriage is work. It's work. It's not a state. It's work. You've got to cultivate it. You've got to water it. You've got to take time with it. You've got to invest in it. Too often the world saps out all the energy from us, and we just want to do it our way. We don't. We just. We just think that we're married because we got a piece of paper and a ring on our finger, maybe. Amen. And, and, and we just go a separate ways, live separate lives, and and we, we hardly touch. We don't hardly communicate. We don't show affection. We don't. We don't sh- talk about our innermost feelings, and we don't. We don't. We're not that one that we're supposed to be. And again, I say this to you. You may be single now, but tomorrow is another day. For the rest of us, we need to maybe be able to help others who are in a difficult spot. We can counsel them. I want the praise team to sing. And as they sing, I I wonder if there's anybody here that would recognize, God, I love you. I don't know why you have loved me. I, I, I just don't know, but you know what, Lord? I'm gonna follow you. I want to be an imitator of you, Lord. I, I want to be pleasing in your sight. I want to do, what, Lord God, what's right. Help me, help me, Father, to follow in your footsteps. Hallelujah. While they're singing this song, why don't you come to the altar and pray? That's what we do here. We pray at the altar. It's a step of faith, Lord God. Hallelujah. Come now. Let's pray.